This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. If you would, please take out your Bibles. Turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. The conference theme is Go and Make Disciples. We will begin this evening with this passage and then quickly move on to another passage. And Lord willing, unless I um, go astray from my notes, we will return to this passage at the end. In Matthew chapter 28, we come to what we refer to as the Great Commission, a very familiar passage. I would say probably to the vast majority of us in this room, if not all of us. Shortly before Jesus ascended into heaven, after he resurrected from the dead, we come to Matthew 28, verse 18, where he addresses his disciples. And it says, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, literally make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. In verse 19, which is where the theme comes from, Jesus says, Go ye therefore... My dad, a pastor for almost 30 years, used to say, and you've probably heard this, when you see the word therefore, you need to look to see what it's there for. So what Jesus is saying in verse 19 is because of what he said in verse 18. Because God the Father has given all authority on earth and on heaven to his son Jesus Christ, Christ can, Christ can now make a command to all of his children and say, go. Go and make disciples. So if this is a, a very familiar passage, if this is a command of Christ, and I think all of us would, would say that this is not just to his disciples, right? This is to all of us. If Jesus gives this charge to all of his people to go and make disciples, why did he say what he said in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, where he said, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few? Hudson Taylor, a very famous missionary to China, said the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It's a command to be obeyed. Why are the laborers few? Turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 9. We will spend most of our time in this chapter, in this passage. Christ commands us to go and make disciples, to go and teach to teach these disciples all the things that he taught us. 
Matthew chapter 9, we will be in verses 36 through 38. We're going to work our way through these verses. Verse 36, Matthew says, But when he, that is Christ, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Verse 36, Matthew gives us a window into the mind of Christ. When Jesus sees the multitudes, when he sees the hordes of unsaved people, how does he view them? When Jesus looked at them, he was moved with compassion for a reason. Why, did, why was he moved with compassion? Because they fainted. The idea of being spiritually weak, spiritually dead. And they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And these two things caused Jesus, when he looked on the multitudes, to have compassion on them. When we come to this phrase, as sheep having no shepherd, I want to park here for a few minutes. My Bible has a little letter B before the phrase, as sheep having no shepherd, because I have margins in my Bible. If you have margins, you may have a letter here. If you don't have margins, if you don't have a little letter, can I give you a reference to write down before this phrase, as sheep having no shepherd? The Old Testament book of Numbers, chapter 27 and verse 17, is what, if you have a margin, is probably in your margin. What is Matthew referring to as sheep having no shepherd? Because when, we, when we're in our New Testaments, we come across the... the the term shepherd, who do we usually think of? Christ. He claimed to be the great shepherd. When he asked Peter, do you love me? He said, yes. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Is that who Matthew is referring to when he says, they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd? Well, if you would, please turn with me to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 27, verse 17. This is going to help us understand this. Who is Matthew referring to when Jesus views lost people as sheep having no shepherd? Numbers chapter 27. We come to the life of the nation Israel where they are very close to moving into the promised land. Moses is still their leader under God's direction. This is after Moses messed up. Remember, he did not do what God told him to do. The people were thirsty. God was about to provide them water. He said, speak to the rock. And what did Moses do? He hit it with his rod. Water came out. God provided water for the people. But Moses did not do exactly as God commanded. So you are familiar with the punishment Moses receives. And here in verse 12 of Numbers chapter 27, we come to this. 
the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee up into this mount of Byram, and see the land which I have given unto the children of Israel. And when thou hast seen it, thou also shalt be gathered unto thy people. As Aaron, thy brother, was gathered, he's going to die. Moses has just spent 40 years leading very stubborn people in circles through a desert. People who the Lord used Moses to lead out of captivity from the nation of Egypt. He used Moses to bring plagues to Egypt, do great things. And Moses, time after time after time, did exactly as God said. Moses messes up one time. And he's going to be punished. Verse 14. Why is God going to allow Moses to die before he goes into the land? For ye rebelled against my commandment in the desert of Zin in the strife of the congregation, to sanctify me at the water before their eyes, that is the water of Meribah and Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. How would you respond to this? If, if this was your charge to lead all of these people through the wilderness, through a desert, and over and over and over again, we see these people rebel against God and on their behalf, Moses goes to God and says, forgive them. And through Moses, God is now bringing these people very close to this land. And after messing up one time, God tells Moses, you will not enter this promised land. You are going to die after looking at the promised land. The beginning of verse 14, God calls Moses a what? A rebel. How does he respond? Verse 15, Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, <coughs> the God of the spirits of all flesh, <coughs> set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them and which may go in before them, which may lead them out and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord, here's our phrase from Matthew 9, be not as sheep which have no shepherd. Moses' response to this punishment is, send somebody to replace me. Don't let these people be without a spiritual leader. Moses didn't whine. He didn't murmur, if you will. He prayed and he asked God to send a man to lead the nation of Israel so they would not be sheep having no shepherd. Lowercase s, if I may add. And what Matthew is doing, we can turn back to Matthew 9. What Matthew is doing is he's drawing our attention to the fact that when Jesus looks at the hordes of unsaved people, he's viewing them as sheep having no spiritual light, having no spiritual leader drawing their attention to the gospel. Then, after Matthew gives us this window into the mind of Christ, Jesus begins to speak in verse 37. 
He saith unto his disciples, Jesus is about to describe the state of the harvest. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Do you think the harvest today is plenteous as it was in the day of Christ? What were the disciples thinking when Jesus said this? We don't have to rewind very far in the Gospel of Matthew to where we get to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. And for almost three chapters, Jesus preaches the, the most famous sermon. We know of at least four of his disciples who were there when he preached it. Jesus preaches to a large group. And then if you just thumb with your, with your finger between the sermon and Matthew chapter 9, we have healing after healing, miracle after miracle. Jesus heals blindness. He casts out demons. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. His disciples are with him. What is happening to the name of Christ as more and more people are being healed, more and more lives are being changed? More and more people want to meet this man. When Jesus shows up, more and more people show up. So when Jesus says the harvest truly is plentiful, the disciples say, you are right. There are people all over the place who need to be healed, who need to be saved. Is that still true today? This year... For the first time, I believe, in human history, the world's population has reached 8 billion people. The vast majority of those people are lost. Many of those people have never heard the gospel. The harvest is plentiful. And my friends, you can look, you can look around the wall of this church building and see pictures of missionaries that you support, countries all around this globe, where we would look and we'd say, the harvest is plentiful there. Missionaries come up and they, and they present, and they talk about the harvest being plentiful in other countries and other places of the world. I think we would all admit the harvest is plentiful right here in Chesapeake, Virginia. My wife and I had the pleasure of attending our sending church while I was in college, Mount Calvary Baptist Church in Greenville, South Carolina. I tell people that the money I spent, uh, the time I spent <coughs> at Mount Calvary was worth the money I spent at Bob Jones because of the training that we received at Mount Calvary. One of the privileges that our family had while we were there was was leading several ministries and Greenville South Carolina <clears throat> probably somewhat like Chesapeake Virginia was was referred to as a bible belt <clears throat> there are a lot of churches <clears throat> in Greenville South Carolina and people would assume being in Greenville South Carolina with all these churches that it is a, it is a very well reached area the harvest isn't necessarily great in Greenville, South Carolina, would be the assumption by some people, because of all these churches. But one of the ministries that we helped with was uh, my wife and I led a Sunday afternoon and a Tuesday evening door-to-door -door outreach. 
And then we also um, helped with a ministry every Friday night reaching teenagers in the neighborhoods around our church. And our church was very, in a very unique place in Greenville. It was, it was in the middle of five large neighborhoods that were very low-income neighborhoods. Very big church, but in the middle of a very poor community. We did not have to go very far at all. We did not have to knock on very many doors at all to realize Greenville, South Carolina is very unreached. The harvest was truly plentiful in Greenville, South Carolina. My friends, the harvest is plentiful in Chesapeake, Virginia. Not just across the world. It's not just plentiful where your missionaries are. It's here. And then verse 37, Jesus says, the laborers are few. Again, when he said this to his disciples, how many people were doing what Jesus was doing? One. At this point, during Christ's ministry, John the Baptist was in prison. No longer preaching publicly. Christ was the only one preaching his message. So when he tells his disciples the laborers are few, they think, um, yeah, because you're the only one. In a vast harvest, you're the only one preaching this message. Is this true today? Are the laborers few? Jesus says, go and make disciples. How many are doing this? Not very many compared to the vast harvest. We were in a conference um, in New Hampshire, not a missions conference, but a pastor's conference that we were able to attend with the FBF organization. And one of the speakers brought to our attention how many churches in the United States, in our circles, in the next 10 years, will probably be without a pastor. And the number was very sobering. But even more sobering was a number he shared after that, how many men are training to be in these pulpits? How many laborers are on their way to go to these harvest fields? The numbers don't add up. The laborers are still few. So Christ raises this to the attention of his disciples. Once again, in verse 38, we come to the word, therefore. Because of what he says in verse 37, because the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few, Jesus says in verse 38, go. If you're looking at me, you'll think I was telling the truth. Okay? If you look at your Bibles, it does not say Go. Verse 38, Jesus says, pray. Because of the vast harvest, because of the few laborers, Jesus says, pray. Now what we would expect him to say is Matthew 28, right? We would expect him to now go right into the Great Commission, right? He's, he's, he's training these disciples. In chapter 10, verse 5, he sends his disciples, but it's not until after 
he commands them to pray. Jesus says, pray ye therefore. The Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Now this word pray is used several times in our New Testaments, and it's not always what we would read the word pray. In other verses, it's used as implored. And the word implored, we understand, would have the meaning of beg. Jesus is telling us to beg something. How many of you have ever begged God for something? Probably a lot of us. We have loved ones. We have needs in our families. We have very close friends who are unsaved. We have people in this church that you know very closely and they have needs. Missionaries that you're close with have needs. We get on our knees and we beg God to meet these needs. We beg God for things that are close to our hearts. But dear friends, how many times have we gotten on our knees and begged God to send more missionaries, to send more pastors, to send more Sunday school teachers, And what I'm not saying is praying for our current missionaries. That is important. And every missionary on this wall and each missionary in this conference would get up and say, our greatest need is for you to pray for us. We need you to pray. But that's not what Christ commands us to pray for in Matthew 9, verse 38. He says, pray for more missionaries pastors, laborers. Pray for more. Have you ever done this? It took me a long time before I realized that I needed to do this, to get on my knees and beg God to send more missionaries. Can I give you two things to consider? I had a a dream. I'll share this in my testimony um, later this week. I had a, a very strong desire early in life, in my in my teenage years, for a very specific career in the military. Um, I had a lot of family, have a lot of family in the military, and um, I I just assumed that this was what I was going to do for the rest of my life. But I never once asked God if that's what he wanted me to do. And it wasn't until the Lord brought a missionary family to my dad's church to give a presentation on Wednesday night, the Lord used to completely change my heart. You may have a career that you are working towards. You may be before that career, but trying to get there, or you may be in that career And it may be what you have been dreaming about since you were a kid. Matthew chapter 4, the end of the chapter, Jesus calls his first four disciples. Two sets of brothers, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. What were they doing? They were fishing. How many guys in this room would love to get paid to go fishing? Okay, 
probably some of us wouldn't be willing to raise our hands, but in our minds we are raising our hands. Their livelihood, the way they made money, was fishing. And yet Jesus comes to them and he gives them a supernatural calling that they could not resist. And they became fishers of men. May I encourage you, if there has ever been a point in your life when you felt the urge to be a laborer in a vast harvest, a full-time laborer, that may have been the Lord calling you to ministry. And what we can be so tempted to do as we involve ourselves in a good, healthy church, we can snuff out the Holy Spirit's calling by living a good Christian life. But at the same time, chasing our own dreams and wishes. And my friends, our dreams and wishes are way too often fueled by our dreams and wishes instead of a supernatural calling by God. Secondly, in John chapter 4, we come to the time with Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. Jesus talks to the woman. You're familiar with this story. You don't have to turn there. I'll just walk us through it. Jesus talks to this woman. He reveals himself to her, his identity. She is impressed by his coming up with things in her life that nobody else knows. She's overjoyed that he is the Messiah. She believes in him. She runs down to the city, and she does what? She starts telling people. And then all these people start coming up to the well. She says, there's this guy up there who's telling me all these things. I think he's the Messiah. And all these people are coming up to the well to see this man. And it tells us that these people, many of them believed. And they came to the woman and they say, we believe not because of what you tell us, but because of what he told us. What were his disciples doing through this? What, what an amazing time. What were his disciples doing? Did Jesus eat yet? You need to eat. And in verse 35, Jesus tells them to lift up their eyes. Because the harvest is ready now. Friends, you may be living your life preparing for a future harvest. You may be, ha you, you might want to be a missionary or a pastor and you're waiting till that day to preach the gospel. You're waiting until that time to open a gospel tract with somebody. Can I encourage you to lift up your eyes because the fields are white with harvest in front of us. Right now, people are ready to hear. Be willing to share the gospel. You may have heard things through this message and you think, you're crazy because none of this applies to me. I'm not actually sure if I'm a Christian. In a group this size, I'm sure there is someone in here like this. And you think that, okay, Christ calls us to go and make disciples. There aren't very many people doing this. 
a lot of us are called to do this. We're all called to do this, but, but I'm not even a Christian. This, doesn't, this does not apply to me. May I urge you not to leave this building until you are born again? In Philippians 2, Paul quotes Christ. Jesus Christ made a promise in Isaiah chapter 45. And he actually promises by his own name. Christ promises that there is coming a day in the future. It is not today. But there is coming a day in the future where every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What Jesus is promising is that whether you are a Christian or not, you will at this day bow before him. And you will say with your mouth that he is Lord. My friends, if you're here and you are not a Christian and you wait until this day in the future to confess Christ is your Lord, you are too late. Because this day is after his return. This day is when all people are gathered and you will be forced to bow your knee and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord moments before you are cast into the lake of fire for eternity. Why would you wait that long when when Paul tells us in Romans 10 verse 9 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Do it now. Don't wait until the day Christ promised is coming. Confess he is Lord with your mouth now and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead. Turn with me again to Matthew 28. We'll close with this. Again, I'd like to to restate Hudson Taylor's quote, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the Lord's command is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. Jesus says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. And then as the Lord uses us to make disciples, we have, we have more work to do. He commands us to baptize them. Verse 20, we're commanded to teach them, to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. As people are saved, we teach them. One of the many things we teach them is to pray for more laborers. We teach disciples of Christ to pray for more laborers. Would you bow with me, please? Father, thank you so much that you have chosen to use broken vessels. You do not need us to do this work Sometimes we feel like you would, you would do better to do this without us.
the harvest would be better reached without us. Thank you for giving us work to do for your name's sake so that we would not live idle Christian lives living for ourselves. Would you simply give us a willing spirit to have compassion on the lost that would lead us to pray and teach people what you have taught us. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.